0: Well, hello out there to anyone listening. This is Onion Ring Sasquatch ORS with the movies coming back at you once again. This is the movie review podcast that made it through an entire episode about cool as ice without using the word wigger. This is your host, your homeboy, G-Money Clip, and with me today as always, my homeboy, Thornton Mellon. My homeboy. Greetings and salutations. You're just determined to talk as quiet as you can. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'll project more. Oh, (laughs) up? You want to talk or what? (laughs) Mr. Rob Van Winkle's not going anywhere anytime soon. It's been a little while. Sorry. Sometimes I doubt your commitment to Sparkle Motion. We'll get back to it. First, just want to say that you can find us if you're listening to us and you want to see video versions of these podcasts. The best place to do it is probably Rumble because I have put videos up a few times now, have never had any issues getting anything on Rumble. Getting stuff on YouTube through their copyright thing is a pain in the ass. So if you go to Rumble, you can find our videos. If you wait a couple months, you can find them on YouTube after that. And if you're actually watching some of our videos, then you can catch us in podcast form on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, all the usual suspects that I can uh, possibly get us out on. Have not heard from our fan. But it's been a while. I imagine he's he's probably like a skeleton sitting in the chair waiting for the next episode to come out. He kept him waiting so long. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at it like this. Cody and I first mentioned doing cool as ice back in twenty eighteen. And oh, it took it until that long? Yeah. And it took until twenty twenty two to get that out. And we mentioned doing the blah about a year ago, a little less than a year ago. So we're moving four times faster than usual. <laughs> That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well, hopefully it was worth the wait. Well, we'll see about that. We're getting into The Blob, the remake from 1988. You saw this movie, I think, for the first time when we had one of our Halloween marathons over here at the house. hmm And not a fan, as I recall. I, I wasn't impressed then. Yeah. Gosh, I had seen this back in the day. The old man would always go get videotapes from Farmore, if you remember that place, oh, yeah. out on uh, South Hamilton. And Friday night, he'd pick out two or three movies or something, and that was one of them. And we'd watch it, and I was like, all right, this is pretty cool. And it was probably about, gosh, about the time I was a freshman in high school, which is about the time you were a freshman in high school. (laughs) We are so old. So I'd seen this movie several times over the years, and I was a little surprised that you were like, yeah, this kind of sucks. (laughs) I I think it probably all comes down to how
1: you watch the movie and and what kind of a mindset you have to watch it. Because I think it, and, and I don't even know how serious they were intending to be in making the movie. That if you go into it expecting it to be a straight horror film, well, you're going to be disappointed. That if you go in expecting it to maybe be a little campy and on the silly side, where you don't take it quite as seriously, then you can kind of go, oh, okay, yeah, and, and laugh at the joke. But I think at the time when I saw it, I just didn't know what to make about it and, and thought it sucked.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> this um, is crap. I had never seen the original either. And I don't think you had seen it until no, no, I pretty watched recently. It for this, yeah. yeah, and I and I did the same thing. It's like, hey, what well, might as well get the original, found it on YouTube right. and just
1: Which definitely seems to take itself much more seriously. I mean it's still questionable quality in terms of how well uh, but I mean I think for the twenty, thirty year gap in between the two, I think it at least didn't laugh at itself. Like I yeah, th- kind of thought the eighty eight version did. It
0: was exactly thirty years. It came out in nineteen fifty eight. Well, okay,
1: there you go. It's
0: kinda surprised how seriously it took itself considering its antagonist is Strawberry Jam, basically. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll get into that. In order to talk about the blob, we first got to talk about the film producer, the guy named Jack Harris. This guy was so old, he got started in vaudeville. Oh, wow. In 1924, when he was six years old. And he became like a theater producer and eventually started getting into producing motion pictures. He was inspired by a story in the Philadelphia Inquirer back in September 27th, 1950, where two police officers reported seeing a mysterious object fall from the sky, and when they approached it, they found a strange jelly-like substance that evaporated without a trace, which is, you know, convenient. It was probably like the Joe Dirt airplane (laughs) stuff (laughs) (laughs) dropping from the chemical toilet. I don't know. But in 1957, when he was going to produce his first movie, monster movies, you know, creatures from space were all the big thing. But he wanted something different than just the typical man in a suit. Because when you see movies like The Thing from Another World and uh, It, The Creature from Outer Space and that sort of thing, it's always a guy in a suit no matter what they set the story up to be. So he wanted something that was different. He remembered that story that he saw in the paper and was like, oh, but we just have like some kind of jelly creature when we do that. So with his partner Irvin Millgate, they remember the story of jelly from space and they used that in the idea of the creature. Uh, and They made the original movie for a budget of $110,000 which, even in 1958, was not a large number. Uh-huh. And that came out September 12, 1958, ends up earning $4 million. Wow. So it did quite a profit, but it was a total B movie. Sure, sure. You know, it's playing the second half of double features at the drive-in and kind of circulating around. Holds a place in pop culture because it is the film debut of one Steve McQueen. Right on. The actor, not the black director, the guy who made 12 Years a Slave. And he goes on to become one of the biggest stars of the 1960s and 70s, He was a teenager, well, he played a teenager. He was actually 28, so he was really old enough to go to Rydell High with (laughs) Stockard Channing, who was 34 or whatever when she made Grease. So with the success of The Blob, Jack Harris goes on to use those funds and produce other movies. He made a sequel in 1972, which is called either Beware the Blob or Son of Blob, depends on, I guess, what region it was in. That movie was actually directed by Larry Hagman.
1: Well, no shit. No kidding, really? No kidding,
0: J.R. And in fact, when they re-released it in the early 1980s, the tagline they used, not making this up, was the movie that J.R. shot. <laughs> so anybody out there old enough to remember the whole who shot J.R. thing around that time from Dallas, they kind of played with that. We are so old. Jack Harris also produced John Landis' first movie, Schlock, in 1973, and was the executive producer on John Carpenter's first movie, Dark Star. In 1974, he came up with additional funds. Dark Star started out as like John Carpenter's senior project at USC, and he gave him extra money to shoot more stuff to expand it to feature length and get it into the movie theaters. And in fact, I don't know if it was around that time, the, the source I found was pretty vague, but in an interview, John Carpenter said that Jack Harris asked him about if he was interested in doing a remake of The Blob. When John Carpenter was not really that interested, he kind of had his own stuff he was working on. Wanted to do his own thing, didn't want to do a remake of somebody else's work at that right. time. Although he would later in his career.
1: Something tells me that if John Carpenter had done the Blob, it would have come out much differently.
0: It's entirely possible, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's I not like he wouldn't d- have
1: laughed at it.
0: It's not like <laughs> he never remade movies. I mean, he remade the thing. He sure. remade Village of the Damned. From what I understand, he thought it was kind of derivative of a movie called The Mass Experiment that he was a big fan of, uh-huh. which is kind okay. of like another creature coming from space blob type thing that had come out a few years earlier. And he was just like, nah, I don't want to remake that. So as we go along through time in the 70s turn into the 80s, there's a couple big trends that pop up in horror movies. First biggest one being the rise of the slasher film. So you got your uh, Mm Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, all these things with killers running around and chopping people up. But another trend that emerges is going back to the 50s and remaking movies that were popular at that time. Probably the biggest one you could think of that started things off would have been the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers in 1978 with Donald Sutherland. That also includes The Thing, The Fly, Invaders from Mars. The Thing and The Fly in particular went like the hard R rating. There have been quantum leaps made in special effects from the 50s, and they took full advantage of that, coming up with, like, the most gruesome, grotesque, gross-out kind of things. Right. Just knock people's socks off with the effects, but way different than the original movies, which, you know, kind of general audiences, oh, it's scary, it's a guy in a suit behind the door. It's like, no, 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 this is stuff Much that just more looks, realistic. Yeah, it like. was... Like,
1: it was believable.
0: It's crazy. So in 1986, New World Pictures, which was Roger Corman's production company... Acquired the rights to remake The Blob. Jack Harris is going to be the producer. At some point, the production company changed to Cinema Group Pictures, but Harris remained a co-producer on the film. And they got two guys, Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont, to work together on this script. So they co-wrote the movie, and they had actually had the same roles on Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors the year before. Russell was the director, and Darabont was like the co-screenwriter with him. They get the movie coming out August 5th, 1988, in time for the 30th anniversary. And like some of the other movies that preceded it, the hard R rating, probably heard it at the box office, the thing didn't do that good, and critics didn't like it. The Fly was much, received much better. There were a lot of people that thought that was the better of the two films. So how did The Blob do? Let's find out. So we kick off the movie, and we get the opening credits over what seems to be a ghost town. It's completely deserted. I really like they're kind of setting up like something bad has happened. There's nobody around. The streets are empty. You see signs in the the shop windows about skiing and, you know, snow and that sort of thing. Apparently the town is supposed to be in California, but it's actually Abbeville, Louisiana, which is about 150 miles west of New Orleans. Mm. So it's funny because they probably have to worry a lot more about flooding than snow (laughs) and skiing and that sort of thing.
1: That's interesting. I never would have placed it there.
0: Yeah, it just looks there's like there's nothing real small about town. the way that
1: it's done that would in any way shape or form indicate it's done in the south, midwest maybe.
0: So where is everybody? They're at the high school football game. To me, it's a nice setup because the credits are sort of off putting you like making you think something bad's already happened, but it also sets up how small the town is because they're playing football Saturday mornings, not on Friday night. They don't have lights or anything like that, which still happened back in the day Wrigley Field didn't get lights until 1988. So, okay. you know, it's one of those things. And it might be an intentional throwback, too, to the 50s. And I think there's a few things that go through the movie like that where you're looking at that and going, really? In 1988? But maybe they're kind of Intentionally. wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, sure. you know, just everybody would have been playing football Saturdays on, uh, in the 50s. Nobody would have had lights in the stadium back in. We get introduced to some of our main players. We get Meg, who's uh, played by Shawnee Smith. Most people these days probably know her from the Saw movies. Paul is... Uh, the wide receiver, hes he appears to be our main guy. He's played by Donovan Leach. If that name sounds familiar, it's also because there's a singer-songwriter named Donovan Leach who just oh. goes by Donovan. Oh, yeah, that guy. That's his dad. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. Who gives a shit, who gives a fuck? Mellow Yellow, Hurdy-Gurdy Man, that Atlanta song that's playing when Billy Bats is getting the shit kicked out <laughs> of him in Henry's Bar in Goodfellas. That, that's his son. Small world. So, yeah, in the football game, Paul gets his bell rung when he gets tackled, manages to stay conscious long enough to ask Meg out. Meanwhile, away from town, we meet Kevin Dillon, a.k.a. Matt Dillon's brother, a.k.a. Bunny from Platoon. <laughs> he's busy establishing his badass credentials by both drinking a beer and smoking a cigarette. <laughs> so you know he's he's up to no good. He looks like a 50s greaser, only he's got like an incredible 80s He's got a great mullet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Business up front party in the back.
1: The interesting thing was the, the way that this whole first sequence is cut between the two, so that you go back and forth between the football game and then him on his bike and, and sort of having this moment where he's going to, he's going to jump on the over this, this broken bridge and they cut it in so that he's gearing up and he's revving the bike. And then you get the crowd from the football team or from the football game chanting, go, go, go. Like they're yeah. cheering him on yep. to go do the jump. And it's one of those moments as I'm watching it unfold. Like what, what, what is this? Because it all happens in such with like, there's, there's no real introduction of any of the characters So you don't have any context for what's going on in the moment, other than it's like, you got these kids at the football game, and then this dude on the bike, and you're like, wait,
0: what? Is is this character development? What's happening here? Well, it kind of is, but the funny thing to me about that is that they haven't really established that he's close enough to the stadium where he would be able to hear them (laughs) out there in the woods. I don't know, but yeah, you get the nice back and forth where it it appears that they're uh, cheering him on, and yes, he also rides a motorcycle in addition to the beer and cigarettes. So that's like the (laughs) badass trifecta. In addition to the leather jacket, his engine conks out. He takes a nasty looking spill. And then there's a homeless guy who gives him sarcastic applause, applause. adding insult to injury. <laughs> now, the part of the greaser here was offered to Chad McQueen originally, Stephen, uh, Stephen McQueen's son. But he turned it down. He didn't like the script. He didn't want to do stuff that was like based around stuff his dad had done. So then we meet our grown-ups: Herb, the town sheriff, and Fran, the waitress. Talk about ski season and tourists and things that are going on in the town. They need winter dollars, unlike Amity. Amity needs summer dollars. They and, need and winter I, dollars. I
1: sort of had, had the, the impression initially, as, as I'm watching the movie, and they, they introduce Fran there in the diner. I'm thinking this is going to be somebody's mother. She kind of gets introduced as like a mother figure for me. Okay. Then I'm like, okay, we've met all these kids one of them this is their mom somehow and and then it never happens that way it's just oh no this is just a lady that works there in the in the diner okay never mind
0: the sheriff is played by jeffrey demon a little bit more with him and frank darabont later on fran is candy clark cat's mom from cool as ice as we mentioned before herb's looking for a date he asks her out and she says she's too busy but she does slip him a note saying what time she gets I'm off off at 11 yeah <laughs> That's one of those things where I think it's kind of cute that the grown-ups are acting like kids a little bit. Sure. It's one of those things where as you get older, you kind of appreciate the stuff that you go on. It's like the struggle never ends, <laughs> you know? <laughs> one of those things when you see it when you're younger, you're kind of like, well, that's weird. But then when you get older, and it's like, no, it kind of still happens. So as Bunny comes back into town, he gets spotted by the sheriff, even though he's trying to stay out of sight. And we learn that his name is Flag. Now, Frank Darabont's a huge Stephen King fan. And Flag is the name of the antagonist from King's book, The Stand. He's like a recurring character through a lot of Stephen King's works. He pops up in novels every so often, and it's got to be intentional. Absolutely. A
1: little, a little homage, tip of the hat there. To yeah. Stephen King, it. Okay. Yeah.
0: So the sheriff hassles Flag about his 18th birthday coming up and establishes that he's in trouble, been in trouble, is not going to be juvie anymore. This kid's bad news. Yeah, he's... I don't know what he does besides drink beer and smoke cigarettes. <laughs> We haven't seen him have yet. a bad yeah. attitude. I, yeah, I guess. <laughs> he does not respect authority. We see Flag go to the garage, and he talks to this guy Moss, and they set up that the town has snowbanking stuff for ski season, and the past couple years have been bad for the town, and they need snow, and it establishes that Flag is enough of a mechanic to help out around the garage, even though he seems to have trouble with his own motorcycle.
1: <laughs> well, well, and at first I thought, like, he worked there, And that's how he knew this guy and that he'd gone in. He was going to borrow something there from the shop where he worked. Mm -hmm. But as the conversation kind of unfolded, it was more like he was just mooching and knew this guy and wanted to take advantage. But yeah, that's really not developed very well why he's there. Yeah.
0: And I don't know, maybe in the past he worked there or something like that and maybe got fired for something. We go to the homeless man who, wait, he's got a house. (laughs) (laughs) If this guy's got a house, why does he dress like a homeless guy and run around collecting cans like a bag lady? He's got a place to live. I don't get it. I can't help you out, man. <laughs> Add it to the list
1: of things that made me scratch my head about this movie.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the guy in the original had a house, but he also didn't look like a homeless guy. Yeah, it was more just a like farmer old, guy out on the edge yeah. of town somewhere that saw something. Just an old guy and his dog. So the old man sees the meteor crash. I can't call him homeless anymore, so, you know, now he's just the old guy. Meteor crashes next to his house. He takes his dog to investigate. The Old Man and the Dog, right out of the original movie. And we cut back and forth to Paul and Scott at the drugstore. And Scott, we'll get into this fucking dickweed. (laughs) Scott borrows money from Paul to go buy rubbers, has an embarrassing encounter with the town's preacher, and throws Paul under the bus, telling him that they're for him. And that, you know, he's looking to take advantage of some poor young girl tonight. Hilarity ensues. I noticed a couple things about this. One, okay, wait, the pharmacist has to go get condoms himself from, like, behind the counter? Is that another 50s throwback? I say, apparently back in the day, they weren't just over on the shelf. I don't know. In 1988, though? That's what I'm thinking. It's got to be something from, like, <laughs> 30 years ago. You would have had to do something like that. But two, okay, this is a small town. Scott is, like, the high school quarterback. Paul's the star wide receiver. But the preacher and the pharmacist don't know him. They don't recognize him at all. That doesn't make a lot of sense. The sheriff knows him. The sheriff knows he's a good kid. He mentions sure. it later on. Right, right. I don't know. It just seems like they're setting something up to be, uh, like you say, hilarity ensuing. <laughs> and we go back to the woods now. The old man and the dog investigate the meteor and find it filled with a bubbling ooze, like Jed Clampett. The dog doesn't like it, instantly fucks off. Smart but you, dog. But you know what you do when you see something like that? Poke it with a stick. <laughs> yes, that's what you do. <laughs> Which is right out of the original, you <laughs> poke it with a stick, and then the blob attaches itself to the stick and then climbs up to his hand. Oops. Instantly. Uh-oh.
1: <laughs> Uh-oh, spaghetti oh.
0: But again, that's right out of the original. So if you've seen the original movie, this is what you're expecting to happen. We go from there to Meg's house, where her little brother and his friend talk about going out to the movies. Which was also in the original, Not with it was with Steve McQueen's buddies, they were going to go catch whatever movies were playing that night. They make some comments about slasher movies and that sort of thing that'll they'll come up, kind of like a, a commentary about, I guess, the state of horror movies at the time. Now, the incident that plays with Meg's dad and the condoms, Chuck Russell, the director, said that that actually happened to him. Oh, really? But probably not. It's actually an urban legend that's been around since like the 1940s. But yeah, there's your... Maybe it did happen to him, but...
1: There, there's your joke tie-in as, as Paul
0: comes up to show up and the door opens. Oh, hey, it's the
1: pharmacist. Surprise. From, from back yeah. there. Oh, hey, yeah, so there's he's... the payoff on your joke.
0: There it is. Yeah, he thinks this guy's uh, some kind of date rapist. But <laughs> Oh,
1: this pervert's <laughs> taking out my daughter now.
0: <laughs> so we got a fun little did you know. Donovan Leach and Shawnee Smith actually went to prom together. Well, no shit. Really? Yep. Okay. I don't know if there were an item so much, but, you know, they'd... At least went to prom. We go back to Bunny working on his bike in the dark woods when he's startled by the old man who's got the blob on his hand and dude tries chopping his hand off with a hatchet, which is like a nice gross little thing where he whacks it and the blob just goes nope and climbs further up his arm. It's like, ooh, yuck. Meg and Paul are driving along and they hit the poor bastard with his car. He's not having a good day. And because Bunny was chasing him, trying to help, they Mm -hmm. think that he's chasing him. And this is another thing where Paul and Flag here, they are just worlds collide. Yeah. The jock in the hood. Yeah. Testosterone surges and dick measuring commences. And the thing is, show don't tell. I don't think we've seen Flag do anything so bad other than drink a beer, smoke some cigarettes, <laughs> right. and ride a motorcycle. But everybody assumes the worst of him. Everybody just seems to think he's the worst thing to happen to this town, and if they were to lock him up for good, it would be really best for everyone. So I don't know. But yeah, there's a lot of tension between the good kid and the bad kid. Now here's a big change from the original. When they take the guy to the hospital... Now they want him to fill out a shitload of insurance forms. (laughs) In the original, it's like, did they take him to the doctor who's probably on his way out making house calls or something like that? And it's like, oh, no, just bring him in the office. We'll take care of him. Now it's like, yeah, what insurance does he have? You can fill out a shitload of forms. Paul says that Meg's probably had better first dates. And I'm like, yeah, don't worry, toots. It gets better. (laughs) Paul goes to the pop machine, sees something moving under the old man's blanket. But as he walks down the hall, you realize there's no way he could have seen that line where he was.
1: As he he starts to walk around the corners, like, how the hell did he see this from the He has to walk
0: around a couple corners (laughs) to get there, and he would have had to see or hear something through that door on top of it and look through the little window in the door. It's like, I don't know if I'm buying that, guys. (laughs) He goes and gets the doctor and when they take the old man's blanket off, he has been just melted by the blob from like the waist down. He looks kind of like an overcooked pizza. It's like (laughs) the cheese is way too hot. Everything's smoking. It's, you don't want to eat that. That's bad. That'll burn the shit out of your mouth. No sign of the blob though. It's gone. Right. Paul goes to call the sheriff and the blob's in the room, drops down on him from the ceiling and holy shit, this is an absolute first rate movie kill. The effect, Fantastic. Mm -hmm. The funny part about this is Shawnee Smith didn't know exactly what they were going to do. She knew they had kind of like a mechanical thing set up. But for the first couple shots, it's actually Donovan Leach under there. So she comes in the room... Sees the guy actually under all that, and her scream was legit. Oh wow! She okay. really freaked out.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, See, it's, it's, I think it's great when they do that when they're when they're making movies and the actors not in on it. Yeah, so that they get more of a genuine reaction out of them for something like it's, that? that. It's like really the, cool.
0: It's like the chest burst or an alien. Yeah, it's, nobody knew that was coming to that extent, and some of those freakouts are real. It's yeah, this effect is fantastic. It looks like a horrifying way to die. She's trying to yank him out for some reason. Although at that point, it's just like nah. Just get the hell out of there. I don't think you're going to help. And the way he melts, it's just, Jesus yeah. Christ, now that's here, great.
1: Here's your 80s gratuitous gore.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, if you were familiar with the original, they just killed off the Steve McQueen character. Right. That's a total page out of the Psycho playbook. That hadn't been done too often. But if you were familiar with the original, this is their way of saying, right. we aren't just doing a scene-for-scene scene remake here, guys.
1: And to his credit, that's actually something that I do think is kind of neat about it, is that here you establish your primary character, and now 20, 30 minutes into the film, oh, wait, never mind, he's dead.
0: Yep, yep, that's <laughs> totally like Janet Lee in Psycho, like Drew Barrymore in Scream. Yeah. And, you know, she's on the poster, and people are thinking she's going to be in the movie, and they take her out. Yeah, that's spoilers for Scream too. on top of us wrecking this movie already, just in <laughs> case you're keeping track at home. So, yeah, the effect's fantastic. Meg passes out, and the blob gets away. So, uh, how's the date going now? <laughs> It's very memorable. I think it was a memorable first date. I can think of at least one date I've been on where this would not have been the worst thing that happened during it. No. <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know, if I was sitting there at the restaurant and the blob had dropped down on that bitch from the ceiling, and I would just have been sitting there like, "Huh, that happened." Hey, blob, you and me, we're we're cool, right? I can go. All right, hey, thanks. <laughs> the blob is fucked off, apparently leaving no physical evidence behind. Which is weird because you see a couple drops that fell on the guy's desk that burned holes in it. Because the blood's acidic, apparently. They wanted the blob to be like, they envisioned it as sort of an inside-out stomach. So it's just going to burn everything oh, it comes into contact with. Gotcha. Like, highly acidic. And the police think that Bunny is somehow the prime suspect. I don't know why. Because he's, he's the town bad kid yeah but unless he's walking around with like (laughs) buckets of molecular acid i don't understand how they think a human being could have done that to the old man and and i guess the thing about it is that as everybody
1: naturally like accuses him and and gets on his case for stuff the way that they've developed the character is that he's just too much of a badass to like actually ever refute anything he just kind of like shrugs it off and, and and he continues to be a badass rather than just saying what the hell is wrong with you? How could I have possibly done this? Look at this. He never stands up for himself and actually tries to explain anything. Well he left. It he wouldn't have seen worse.
0: he wouldn't have seen anything anyway. It's not like he could say, look at that guy. I didn't do that. Well sure, he sure. Never but saw at any point, happened.
1: like along the way, as they pull up in the car and he and he's chasing the homeless or the old guy and they yeah. assume that, you know, it's his fault. There's never this moment of no, look at his arm. I'm trying to help him. There's something wrong with him. I didn't do this. There there's never like a moment where he like kind of stops and tries to have a, any sensibility about anything. It's just constantly
0: He's just constantly giving everybody the finger. Yeah. <laughs> the deputy sheriff that we meet here for the first time is played Paul by Paul McCrane. McCrane. Yes. I know him from ER. I know him from RoboCop. He Dr. was the Robo- uh, he was the melting guy in RoboCop. Oh yeah, yeah. The year before. Now, we get to Scott and Vicky in the parked car. Scott's done well for himself. Vicky is Erica Aleniak.
1: Yeah. Future Playboy
0: Playmate, Miss July 1989. See, I did my research. And this is her first role since her debut in E.T. as Elliot's crush. She was pretty hot there for a while. Under Siege, Chasers, and quite a few. Baywatch. She was on Baywatch for a while. All right. Now we're going to get into our trigger warnings as we talk about this fucking jackass. (laughs) Scott makes Vanilla Ice look like Jimmy Stewart. Jesus Christ this dickhead threw his friend under the bus about the condoms keeps a fucking bar in his trunk for the purpose of date raping chicks complete with dozens of Cracker Jack prize rings <laughs> to tell these girls oh no I gave you I gave you my ring that's gotta be another 50s thing because I don't know if anybody was still doing that in the but in the 80s so it, much but, but that was you're definitely wearing
1: your ring or your pin as your
0: how does all that shit in his trunk not spill everywhere when he goes driving around <laughs> you think that would just not be a great setup. This is like the first guy that I'm actually hoping the blob will get. And the audience should be thrilled if it fucking gets him too. Right. Because, oh, wait, that does happen because he's trying to be a perv. <laughs> and he goes in there to, to grope her and the blob has hidden in the car somehow and ends up getting him when he goes to uh, try and get to second base while she's theoretically passed out drunk.
1: No, she's been eaten by the blob. She's just dead now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Surprise! I tell you what, the concept of the multiverse is a big thing these days. Marvel's done it with the Spider Man thing sure. and Doctor Strange. There's that movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, multiple universes going on at the same time. I would love to see an alternate version of this where the blob doesn't attack these two and then 30 years later she's me tooing him at his Senate confirmation hearing. <laughs> He's up there for, like, Secretary of Agriculture or some shit, and she's like, and he gave me alcohol and touched me, and he's like, bitch, i never seen you before in my life. I've been home all night with my kids. And it's, like, on CNN and shit. That'd be fun. So, let's talk about the blob for a minute. Okay. The idea is that this thing's supposed to be like an inside-out stomach. It's going to burn and dissolve everything it comes into contact to. It seems to be a little bit inconsistent. And I'm sure some of this is intentional. Like it can dissolve organic material, but it doesn't dissolve rock or glass. You see it burning wood, and obviously it burns people, but it seems to leave no trace when convenient. Right. Like if this thing is going through the grass, you should see There's like no a trail, big trail, not even slime, just like a burned waste where it's been. Oh, okay, sure, where yeah. It's, you know, dissolve everything. The path everything. of
1: destruction that it leaves in
0: its wake. Yeah. So when you see what it did to the old man. The same thing should have happened to Vicky in the car.
1: Sure, right, right, So, right.
0: I don't know how she didn't react in any way, shape, or form when this thing would have latched onto her in right. the first place. Or well, like Paul, suddenly, he's just plain gone. He's been completely consumed by the thing. Sure. Also, a little earlier, it was big enough to engulf Paul completely. Right. But now it's small enough to hide in the car. That'll make no sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. We, we want stuff to make sense. Yeah, hold that thought. (laughs) Yeah, I want stuff to make a little bit of sense. It doesn't have to, you know, it's a horror movie. It doesn't have to be completely logical. So Meg says that no one believes what she saw. And I'm thinking, wait, there's no physical evidence. There's no burns in the doctor's office. Obviously, there was burns on the desk. Didn't it at least partially hit the desk when it fell from the ceiling? I mean, there should be all kinds of stuff melted in that office. And what happened to Paul's arm? Did it grab the arm? Oh, yeah, that she ripped off? That yeah. That she have been now just left behind, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did it run off with that, too? And why didn't the blob attack Meg when she was just laying there unconscious? He's just like, nah, I'm full. I'm going to go <laughs> fuck off now. Why did it feel the need to be sneaky? <laughs> that don't make no sense. It builds tension and, and drama. Yeah, I guess, but this is like... It makes for better filmmaking. It's it's like a monster, though. It's not a person where he's like, oh, why, shit, I gotta get out of here before I get caught. I don't <laughs> think this, this thing would be thinking about the consequences of its actions. <laughs> so the police still suspect Bunny for some reason. Like, dude, he wasn't stabbed. This guy was <laughs> dissolved. I I don't know why you're looking at him. And then Bunny licks the deputy's face <laughs> when he... When he Gets in his face. uh, That's gross. (laughs) Ugh. (laughs) So the police finally decide to let him go. They got nothing on him. Meg instantly finds him. Like, he walks out and, boom, she comes right around the corner. But she was coming to bail him out, so I guess her timing was just good. So, like in the original, she snuck out of the house. Mm -hmm. He wants nothing to do with her at first, but she follows him to the diner and is like, hey, you saw what happened to that guy. You know something was going on. And they have some nice character moments as they're trying to... I don't know, come together to figure out what the hell is going on. They're not being set up as a romantic couple, Right. which happens so many times in so many movies where it's like there's a guy and a girl, they're going to get together and smooch at the end. It's like, no, it's not like that, but they need to work together to right. cuz they set out that up with on a problem Paul early on. Oh, yeah. hey,
1: here's the romantic thing that's going to build over the course of the movie. Oh, he's yeah. being all awkward and afraid to ask her out. So yeah, well that's going to develop. No.
0: But it's nice that it doesn't become that because yeah. that's what happens in like every fucking movie? It's nice that they're kind of just working together in something. So after the blob is done with Scott and Vicky, it goes into the sewer. Uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> that ain't good.
1: Uh oh,
0: spaghetti So it's in a fantastic spot to come up through the drain <laughs> in the diner.
1: Yeah, this this was my moment that I was a little. I made some note of.
0: I think it's a fantastic kill
1: sort of. I mean, yes, it, it's it's neat and all. But back to your point about the physics of the blob and the inconsistency here. Okay, so you got your guy washing your dishes. Oh, the drain's clogged. And so you reach down, we're going to we're going to clear the clear the clog in the drain. And the blob grabs him and sucks him into the drain. Sucks Bursts him into out, the sink.
0: Like grabs him like it's got a hand.
1: Yeah. But then it pulls him into the drain. So this is not how physics works you see the the metal of the drain start to bulge yes. a little bit but it's like this dude didn't get like eaten pulled apart dissolved it grabs him and fully wholly pulls him down into the pipe
0: I think it's great because it, show, it, well, it shows how strong this thing is it's crushing this dude and like oh is that, that what happened quickly. yeah I think
1: it's I like grabbing, grabbing him, him crushing okay, him and
0: squishing it. him down the drain because this was like, one of those oh moments that I'm watching
1: it going what the
0: hell <laughs> I think it's it does a good job of showing how powerful this thing is, okay, but you seem to have gone a different direction.
1: <laughs> it, when you go in and you watch a movie and you're that that suspension of disbelief that goes on that is you're kind of allowing things that are not necessarily realistic to just, okay, well', let this go. I couldn't let this one go.
0: <laughs> well, it is a monster from outer space, right? You do know it's not a real thing for sure. So it's got abilities. But that, here you know. in our
1: physical real world that it has come to inhabit, it, yeah, how did it suck the guy down the drain? I, no, I didn't buy it.
0: No, nah, because it's really strong and it's <laughs> squishing him and breaking down his body.
1: Oh, okay. Well, if it's dissolving him and turning him into goo as it sucks him down, I suppose that's all right.
0: That's that's what I'm going with anyway. <laughs> I don't know. That's the thing. It shows the strength, how how quickly it can break that guy down and yank him through the, the drain. And rather than have somebody... Explain that to you and talk about it. It's like, no, oh, we'll just show you mm-hmm. this guy getting squished down the drain. And, and
1: a fantastic uh, horror movie scream now from, uh, uh, I'm sorry, what's her name? Candy Clark. From yeah. Can- Candy Clark. Yeah, she walks, walks in and sees this and witnesses uh-huh. it. She has that fantastic horror movie feminine, like, oh! And she just, her reaction on that is fantastic.
0: Ah! Ah! Oh, she's a pro. Yeah. That's how she got the part in Cool as Ice. <laughs> The blob then bursts out of the sink, which, you know, from a horror movie perspective, that's cool. It's like, well, I didn't burst out of the sink to grab the guy, to your point. I think it's more fun to yank the guy down the <laughs> drain. But then it bursts out of the sink and then starts chasing people. Meg and Bunny hide from the blob in the freezer, just like the original. Right, right. It tries to get under the door, doesn't like the cold, and says, fuck this, I'm out. Oh, the
1: blob doesn't like cold. Yep. Okay. Duly noted. That seems like that might be important later.
0: That very much is important later. <laughs> Fran's not so lucky. She goes to a phone booth, which apparently is just in an alley. <laughs> Probably not a great location for a, a phone booth. You think you'd maybe want it what? out on the street, out what? on the corners? What's, what's a phone booth? Yeah, I know. For <laughs> for you kids out there, back before cell phones, they used to have these things called pay phones where you would put a quarter in and be able to make a phone call. <laughs> and what's even better for, for all you youngsters, uh, it's a rotary dial phone. <laughs> so, you know, don't fuck up <laughs> when you're trying to call the cops.
1: Four, five, five. Oh, I messed up. Hang up. Gotta do it again. Four,
0: five. There's a moment I pause real quick. She's like looking for Herb's card. She puts it down on the counter there. His business card has the great seal of the state of California on it. Oh, okay. Because they're supposed to be in California and it says Fayette County Sheriff's Office. Aha. Uh-huh. There is no Fayette County in California.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Okay.
0: There isn't one in Louisiana either. So I don't know what they were doing. I guess they're really pushing this being a fictional Made town. Made up to be a fictional town, sure, I, right. I guess. But it's like a real county name in like 10 states, but not California. Mm-hmm. No 911, so she's got to dial all those numbers.
1: 4, 5, oh, I messed up. Hang up, got to do it again. 4, 5.
0: Yeah, don't fuck up. Oh, wait, she did. Your call cannot be completed. it's gone. And then we see the blob coming down and covering the phone booth. Now we've already established that it's not gonna be able to eat through glass and metal and that sort of thing.
1: But I felt like it kinda did though. I mean it ultimately smashes everything, but it, it
0: like it, it was like it ate the phone booth with her in it. It didn't eat the phone booth, it shattered the phone booth. Yeah. Like it burst in. It was coming in through the cracks and whatnot. Yeah. And this yeah, thing yeah. is like big enough where it can, you know, crush it. She finally makes her call and finds out that Herb has gone to the diner. And then we see Herb, and the blob's already got him. And the the goo. Yes, and his (laughs) eyes are moving, so it's almost like he's still alive, which is... How long ago did it get him? Because it seems to go through people pretty quick. It was to say, it was just in the kitchen a minute ago. Yeah, I don't know, we didn't see it. But, oh, Jesus, if he was still alive, (laughs) get me away from this thing. Poor Fran. The blob can't dissolve the phone booth, but it can burst into it and get her, which it does. I think this would be a good time to talk kind of about the morality of killers and whatnot in slasher movies. Okay. A lot of times, you can kind of predict who's going to survive your scary movies because the killers like always go for the the kids at sleepaway camp that are right, right having sex and the smoking, teenagers, and, yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. Smoking it's always like you're. Always oh, your virgin girl who survives the thing. Like they set that up in Halloween and it's kind of become its own trope. But what I really like about the blob is it doesn't have any of that going on. Right. The people it's killing, they're just good people. Yeah. Fran seems nice enough. Right, right, Herb, right. Herb seems that he's trying to protect people in town, all that. Paul's a good kid. Mm-hmm. All this stuff. Blob doesn't care. He's just killing it. Right. everybody. And again,
1: from that storytelling perspective, with establishing here are your characters in the first part of the film, all these people that you've been introduced to now are dead.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I think it's great because it's like being a good person is not going to save you in this movie. Right. Like, nobody is safe in this movie. To me, that's really cool because, I mean, I guess these are our main characters, but does that mean they aren't going to get God? I don't know. The movie kind of keeps surprising us with who gets killed. Right. Especially if you saw the original, the sheriff was like a big part of getting everybody together to stop the thing. Mm-hmm. So then you've taken out another character from the original who was kind of the hero. Sure. And anybody who's seen the original is really getting tipped on their side at this point.
1: Well, cuz I think the big the difference here, that generationally in the original, the teenagers were kind of involved in the story, but it was ultimately the adults that had to jump in and save the day. We've removed the adults from the equation here now. And so it's the teenagers now that have to kind of be the ones that are going to jump up and take over because grown-ups are ruining the world and they're stupid. we got to do this ourselves. It's
0: post-60s, man. Never trust anyone over 30, man. <laughs> All right, so Meg and Bunny leave the freezer. Bunny has this hook. I don't know what he thinks he's going to do with it against the blob, but he's got it and he is jumpy, he knocks down a container of strawberry jam, and he's like, yeah, I, I killed the strawberry jam, which is funny, because, again, that's what the stuff in the original <laughs> movie looked like. <laughs> After they leave the cafe, we run into the preacher again. He mm-hmm. sees the blob going back into the sewer. Uh-oh, spaghetti-o! And he goes into the cafe and sees all the damage and destruction and whatnot, mm-hmm. and he finds small frozen chunks of the blob Little, well, but that see, had broken off. Yeah,
1: and, and this was the bit that, in context... He kind of walks in and sees the freezer a mess, bends down and and notices these little, oh, they're just little purple chunks of ice.
0: That are like sparkling, glowing. Yeah. So he grabs it and puts it in a jar. Yep. Because reasons. (laughs) I guess for science or something. Yeah. It's for science. It was one of
1: those moments that as it's happening, I'm like, well, okay, you walk in and you witness all of this destruction and you see this, recognizing everything smashed, but these little purple glowy bits in the ice catch your eye and... Oh, I should keep one of these for later. What? I don't that?
0: know why. Other than, wow, that's kind of weird looking. Maybe that'll
1: come back later. It Maybe might. Maybe there's a reason he did that.
0: It might. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Meg and Bunny are looking for the sheriff. They go to Elkins Grove, which is where the meteorite crashed in the first place. And the feds are there. They got the, their automatic weapons, they got their hazmat suits. Oh, a biological containment team. They're all going, yeah. What's happening? So then we meet uh, the lead scientist, Dr. Exposition. That's what I'm calling him anyway. He gives them a story about what's happened, sends the deputy back to town to get things started. Is anyone else suspicious about how they got there so quickly with uh, all this gear and all this equipment? I kind of am. Are you?
1: They're just responding to the fact that there there was a meteorite crash. They mo- they went to investigate.
0: They always show up it's- with automatic weapons and hazmat suits. Well, it's
1: like those dudes in E.T.
0: Yeah, it, it did remind me a lot of E.T. seeing all that <laughs> stuff going on. Oh, this is a fun part. We get to the movie within a movie. <laughs> the uh, slasher movie that Meg's little brother and his friend snuck out to go see, which is a Friday the 13th, I don't know, knockoff yeah. kind of spoof thing that they're doing in there where, you know, the camp counselor is like, wait, why are they trimming the hedges so late at night? <laughs> and he's going to start chopping people up. And of course, there's a jackass talking through the movie and then the usher shows up, yells at I guess it's his brother or one of the kids there. Get your feet off the seat, and he's waving a flashlight around. Shit, no, man, no wonder people stream movies these days. (laughs) Have to go out and put up with that shit. Up in the projection booth, the air conditioner is being blocked by something. And when the projectionist goes to take a look, we get a POV shot of the blob coming to get him. But the blob doesn't have eyes. (laughs) How are we getting a POV shot of something without eyes? Is it using someone else's (laughs) eyes? (laughs) It's
1: the sheriff. It's the sheriff in there.
0: And... (laughs) And why would it be in the air conditioning ducts? It doesn't like cold, right? The guy oh, said, that's a good, "I the, didn't,
1: I didn't connect that." That's yeah, the guy said, out.
0: "Oh, the air conditioner's on full blast." Well, yeah, right. Shit, it should be pretty cold then. I guess the maybe it just doesn't like freezing cold, and I guess a cool breeze isn't uh, going <laughs> to slow it down. Well, but, that's
1: a very yeah, that's a very good call out. I missed that.
0: But I mean, it's not like it's thirty degrees or something. I, I guess.
1: Yeah, but, but still, no. It's a it's a great point. Yeah. It Doesn't make any sense.
0: So now we get another. Uh, horrifying effect and the uh, projectionist body is like up on the ceiling in the blob <laughs> and he's like half melted, but he's still like squirming around like he's alive it's like, oh shit mostly dissolved but still ah, right oh my god so grotesque we got to talk about the effects for a minute Tony Gardner did the effects he's not as well known as Rob Boteen or Stan Winston Rick Baker Tom Savini those type of guys for horror movies but he's been involved in dozens of movies this was the first one where he was the head effects guy And he was originally only supposed to do, like, a few small effects, Mm. but they have had some personnel changes during production, and he ends up running a crew of, like, 33 people. Oh, wow, okay. Doing uh, the effects stuff. The effects are a mixed bag. Yeah. The best ones, the physical effects, like the kills Mm -hmm. and a lot of that stuff, they're top-notch. They are right up there with the thing uh, as far as gore and grotesquerie. It's, wow, there's some really good stuff. There are some clunkers. Right. You get some blue screen effects and some... Rear projection, forced perspective type stuff, not quite as good. Right. Most of those show up at the end of the movie once they get into town. But a lot of the stuff where they're working with the people are, are great. There are different, differing accounts on how much the film cost to make. Chuck Russell says it cost $10 million. Okay. IMDb says it was $19 million. That's estimated. With $9 million going to special effects. I think we talked about another movie that spent 9 million on its special effects. Oh, that's right. It was Battlefield Earth. <laughs> 12 years later. <laughs> so I think you can see if these numbers are accurate, spending a little money on your special effects goes a long way <laughs> as opposed to not spending very much money on special effects. And any chance that 19 million is like an adjusted number compared to what you heard with the 10 million? I don't know. It just said estimated. Okay. Nineteen at the time would have been like a mid-budget kind of movie. Okay. Like a lot of the big movies at the time would have been around maybe thirty, thirty-five million. So maybe a little over half so of it's that.
1: Not. It
0: hard wasn't hard a hard huge. Hard. It have been a yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess the director would know more, but it just seems like that's a big discrepancy between ten and nineteen. That's sure. That's like half the budget you're talking about. So I don't. I don't know. Maybe he's talking about actual production budget versus advertising and that kind of thing too. So back in the woods. The feds ask Meg and Bunny to get in the van to get taken back to town. But when they decline, the feds stop asking. That turned quickly. <laughs> they even have killer dogs with them. This it's guy like, that was a nice guy is not a nice guy. He was like Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse. <laughs> be nice. Until it's time <laughs> to it's, not be nice. It was time to not be nice. So as they go driving off, Bunny wants out, wants Meg to come with them. They end up going their separate ways. So it's kind of like a nice character thing. She's concerned about her family. She's got, you know, people back in town. She mm-hmm. wants to make sure they're okay. He's got nobody. Well, she's he not a loner a
1: or a rebel like he is. I mean, That's right. She's he not... wouldn't understand.
0: <laughs> Get Pee Wee Herman in here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a loner, Dottie. A rebel. He does these impersonations. I swear, you would think it was the real people. So the town is being put under quarantine. They're spinning a story about how this is like an infectious thing going on everyone getting uh, rounded up and taken to the town hall and at this point the movie kind of like you know bunny is quickly developing an anti-authoritarian spirit which i kind of like especially after the last couple years what no (laughs) so back at the movies the annoying jackass is killed by the blob yay (laughs) that's another guy i don't mind seeing going and it comes out of the projection booth window, just like the original. Mm-hmm. And everyone goes into a panic, running and screaming and all that sort of stuff. Meg gets to the theater just in time to catch everyone running out. Instead of waiting a couple seconds for him to leave, she tries fighting her way in. <laughs> it's kind of getting pushed around. and That's a little funny. The blob is just wilding out and killing people left and right. My favorite bit of this, though, are the genius kids that are trying to get out the door that's got the chain locked on it.
1: Yeah, they're stupid Seems like a good way to get out.
0: Yeah. They're stupid kids. They're panicked. They don't know no better. <laughs> I kind of like the girl there with the half-dissolved face. Oh, yeah, yeah, sitting there yeah, twitching. Yeah. That was a nice, nasty effect. Uh, gross, but cool. So um, Meg gets to the boys. They go out the other door that's not chained not and padlocked. <laughs> why the other door is chained and padlocked, I don't know. You think that would be like a major fire hazard? <laughs> right. In case of instances <laughs> like this where everybody's got to get out of the building in a hurry. I don't know why that door would be padlocked like that, but okay. So they run out the back. And as they escape, her brother's jacket gets stuck in the door. So we get some some nice zipper stuck moment, and the blob's coming underneath the door and trying to grab his feet, and they get away in just the nick of time. You know, you got the rivets shooting out from the hinges and the bulbs bulging the door out before it bursts into the alley. So we got another narrow escape. They get a dead end in the alley and decide to go down into the sewer. So now the blob gets another POV shot, and it's also at this point making pig noises. <laughs> As it's chasing them. So it's got eyes now, apparently, and it's got lungs and vocal cords. I don't know what's going on with this thing. I don't know why it needs to make noises. It, You know, the noise of it sloshing around should be kind of enough, but they they made it have pig noises. Okay. So we cut back to Bunny, who's gotten his motorcycle. And is spying on the feds who are digging up the meteorite. And Dr. Exposition tells us that it's a U.S. science experiment gone wrong. He's all gung-ho about being able to use this thing as some kind of a weapon. It's always how it is. They always want to use it as a weapon. So in the original, the blob was just a thing from outer space. Right. Now it's the government. Well. Conspiracy. Yeah, it's like, this is the 80s, man. We're still in the Cold War. But they made it a U.S. creation and not like a Russian one. It couldn't just be a monster from outer space again. It's got to be like, oh, we're really the bad guys. Well, well no, no, because we want to use this
1: against those commies. We could turn this into something and end that Cold War.
0: This could be the thing that turns it. You yeah, know. I, <laughs> I, I don't think it's necessary. I mean, I guess you got to justify how they got there so quick with all their hazmat shit and all their guns and how they knew everything was going on. It could just just have been a monster from space. I would have been okay with that. Well, and and with that in mind, I think
1: that's the other thing is that as as these guys show up, it adds this new layer of more bad guys intention and drama that really kind of doesn't need to be there if you play up the fact that you've got this...
0: Creature from space that's here, you know, leveling the town. No, I'll tell you what it is. It's because 1988, Reagan is still the president. So, oh, the government's the bad guys. because right. Because Reagan's the president. Dude, if they remade this movie today, you know that fucking pro would be from Russia. <laughs> That thing would be Russian and they'd probably find a way to fucking blame Trump for it. And all the scientists and army guys would have little Ukrainian flags and the kids would be wearing the shirt saying, I stand with Ukraine and all that shit. You could have Fauci show up and tell everybody, oh, we got to quarantine. You got to wear three masks while you're in your car by yourself and all that shit. He does these impersonations. I swear you would think it was the real people. But no, now we're not going to trust the government on this because Ronald Reagan's in the White House Man, fuck off. Jesus age Christ. Come on, man. Fuck you!
1: You will see now, bastard!
0: Alright. You okay? I'm okay. I'm okay. So yeah, Bunny is spying on the feds, and he can somehow hear their conversation, even though they're, like, inside the plastic tent, and there's machinery and stuff going on, and they're just talking in a normal tone of voice. They aren't yelling or anything. He can hear them just fine. We've got the one scientist with some kind of ethics who is objecting to this.
1: Doctor well, see, because it's not the
0: government. It's just this one guy who's an asshole. I, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> he does reveal that he's the bad guy. You know, he doesn't care about the people in the town. They're expendable. Right. Just like the crew in Alien. Crew expendable. Town expendable. we got to take this thing and, this and control God. it. Where have we heard that the last couple of years? Bunny somehow hears all this. And knows that Meg is in trouble because when the one guy in town is calling to him, the kid's brother, who's the usher at the movie theater, is yelling out people's names specifically so that (laughs) Bunny can hear that Meg's in trouble and he knows he's got to go back to town and help her. That's the only reason he's yelling names. Nobody would give a shit what their names are. Hey, somebody's in the sewer. They need help. So Bunny gets caught spying, but he's able to beat the guy up with his ratchet and attempts to escape on his motorcycle. And here comes the payoff. Because he's got to jump that bridge for real this time. What, what, what? It was foreshadowing the whole time? They set it up and they're going to pay it off. He's got to jump that bridge. He's getting chased by guys shooting at him. And there's helicopter's going. I see. And he does it. He races across that bridge and makes the jump. I see
1: what they did there. And
0: flips him the bird as he gets away. (laughs) So now the feds are going to close off the sewer to trap the blob and keep it in the sewer system. They said there's like three access points if they close those off. It can't get out. But for some reason, they also send people in the sewer. I don't know what they're doing there. Well, they're trying to, if I remember right, they were trying to capture it to an extent. That well, sure, they could, but they were going to seal off the sewer and keep it in there. To keep
1: it in there, yeah. But then but then they sent the guys down to try to get it. So the, the whole point was, it's in there. We know it's in here. Keep
0: it in there so we can get it. So well, yeah, it but you away. want to seal it off first and then send people in. Otherwise, it might be able to get away. You'd want to seal the thing up first. I don't know. Remember, I'm the one that didn't like this movie. Oh, I understand. <laughs> so the blob pursues Meg and the kids underwater in the sewer and grabs one of the kids as they try climbing out. I don't know what Meg's thinking because she just dives in the water like she's gonna go get this kid. It's like, um, you've seen this happen before. It's just not gonna end well. <laughs> You should have learned your lesson from Paul. This is a, a situation you don't have to outrun the blob. You just have to outrun the <laughs> other person who's getting chased by the blob. And the kid gets turned into melted goo. It's rare to see kids get killed in movies. There's Jaws. Mm-hmm. Assault on Precinct 13. You got any? Uh, Not right off, no. And those were both in the 70s. Right. So, like any other movie, when you see a kid in peril, oh no, nah, they'll be fine. And this guy gets just Turned to slush. Sure. And damn, it's really not holding back. <laughs> and I, I do like nobody's that. Nobody's safe. Yeah, nobody's safe. And again, what was his crime? He wanted to sneak out and watch, you know, a slasher movie. <laughs> it's not like they deserve it. That's right. the thing. It's, it's, it's really crazy. Oh, I know why the soldiers are in the sewer. They're there to be a distraction. <laughs> a distraction. Yeah, they come in and start shooting at the blob, so it goes after them, so that Megan oh, escape. so the kids <laughs> can get away. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they come in and start shooting at it, and at this point, the blob looks like it's able to form something that looks like a mouth, as well as tentacles, because it's like coming up there to try and grab Meg Mm -hmm. as she's attempting to escape, and as she's running off a very slippery incline, Bunny shows up just in time to help her escape on his bike, which is pretty lucky, I don't know how big that sewer system is. How that convenient was, that was, he was going by that, was that good sewer timing. exit
1: just at that right time.
0: It's almost like it's in a movie. <laughs> they show up and he's able to zip around the blob real fast on the bike, but they wreck. They find one of the feds who is wounded and they attempt to escape, but Dr. Exposition's like, nope, we got to keep this thing trapped. You guys can't get out even though you're right there. That dude's a dick. He is. It's almost like he's a heel. For some reason, I guess four reasons, the wounded fed has a rocket launcher. <laughs> And Bunny uses it to blow up the manhole and the truck on top of it. Forget that the blowback from that thing would probably (laughs) burn them pretty bad. (laughs) It's only a couple feet up until that thing would hit. And it's a big explosion. I guess don't think about it too much. (laughs) So they escape the sewer. Bunny grabs an M16. And then we have a standoff where everybody's pointing guns at each other. It's like Reservoir Dogs.
1: A Mexican standoff!
0: Yeah. Well, there's not enough cliches in this movie already. What's one more? I, don't, I wouldn't say there's a lot of cliches. I think there's. it's more like they're tropes. Tropes, okay, sure. Because tropes are things you have to have to have a movie. Like in a slasher movie, you have to have a slasher. Yeah. Or you don't have a slasher movie. Just because every slasher movie has a slasher doesn't mean it's a cliche. Well, it's sure. just something that makes that kind of movie that kind of movie. I mean, we've seen this thing Well, but, but I guess in that kill off characters that you wouldn't expect it to kill off. Yeah, and, but I guess I would consider it cliche
1: more in the fact that it didn't have to be there.
0: The gun? The,
1: the, the, me- the little Mexican standoff that
0: happens here where they're all... I don't know how many I, I saw before Reservoir Dogs. And I think it's there so that Bunny can just start yelling at everybody about, hey, these guys are lying to you. Sure. And that kind of thing. And, you know, they're pointing guns at me, so that makes them bad guys. But then again, this is the town hood who's got a machine gun all of a sudden. <laughs> so, yeah, that's going to put people on edge. I mean, he's making a lot of good points. <laughs> He's calling a lot of things into question where it's like, yeah, why is that? How did you guys get here so quick with all your gear and equipment and know exactly what was going on and that sort of thing? In the meantime, the blob comes out of the sewer, partially, and grabs Dr. Exposition, (laughs) even though Bunny was a lot closer. I guess he's got plot armor (laughs) that the doctor doesn't have. It pulls him into the manhole, fills his suit before yanking him down, breaking a gun in half, which is pretty impressive. And this really pisses the number two fed off. So they decide they're going to kill the blob by shooting it. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. So they're just going to machine gun it a bit and then drop a satchel charge. And I don't know why they thought that would work, but it's like Homer Simpson going, and that's the end of that. And let's just sort of walk away but it's, from it. But it's the nice
1: quote that goes with that, where he says, chew on that slime ball. <laughs>
0: Well, it wouldn't be an 80s movie if you didn't have uh, <laughs> cornball lines. Surprisingly, and then the smashes in flat. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly enough, bullets don't kill it. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> I guess, to be fair, they were told not to shoot it, so maybe they didn't know that bullets wouldn't work, but I wouldn't have thought that just shooting that thing would kill it. Right. Where are you going to hit? Where are the vitals? Where's its heart or its lungs or whatever... It's just a big bunch of goo. So now, as Bunny says, it's pissed off, (laughs) and it erupts out of the sewer, breaking out just a huge mass of rock and everything around it, and chaos ensues. And here's where we get a lot of the dodgy blue screen effects, and pretty obvious miniature shots, and rear projection and stuff that just isn't quite up to scratch with some of the other effects we've seen. So yeah, the blob's going through picking off people one at a time, it smashes the number two fed, it's grabbing people and yanking them away. The feds try to use a flamethrower on it, and the blob plugs the end of the flamethrower and the guy <laughs> bursts in the flame and blows up, which also catches the preacher on fire. And I don't know, the preacher at this point seems to have gone bye-bye. He's talking about how this was prophesied or something. Oh well, sure,
1: this is the end of the world!
0: I guess. I don't remember a bit about the blob in the Bible, but it's been a while since I looked at it, so <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm the asshole. He's turning into a crazy preacher. I don't know why. It's weird, but it wasn't like he was traumatized by this thing that it would have made him snap, so... Well, no, this is
1: that moment. This is where he gets traumatized here, yeah. as he's witnessing all of this happen in real time.
0: And I suppose, but I mean, he saw it. Up. he saw it before. But he catches on fire, too. So Meg puts him out with the fire extinguisher, And then also sprays the blob with it, and it's like, oh yeah, that's right, this thing doesn't like cold. So she's able to kind of keep blasting it in order to do kind of like a, a retreat, enough to get into the town hall with people. And in a case of parallel evolution, Bunny also remembers the cold, and he has stolen the snowmaking truck, and crashes out of the garage to go save the day. So now this thing is all over the town hall, people are trying to keep it out, they've got their fire extinguishers. Blob's winning though because it's way too big for a couple of little fire extinguishers, mm-hmm. which was kind of like in the original, how it was just four or five people with fire extinguishers and stuff managed to take it out. That's not happening here. Right. This thing is half the size of the building. It snaps the deputy literally in half, <laughs> which is another great kill, where it just comes through and snaps him and pulls him out. So Bunny comes to the rescue with a snow truck, and he's spraying this thing, but it's not enough. And the blob swats the truck off to the side. Meg escapes the building to go help Bunny taking a weapon from a guy that's like three quarters dissolved. This guy was a stuntman. He actually lost both his legs and an arm in NOM. Oh, really? And and one of his eyes. They didn't have to do any kind of weird effects with him. It was oh, just wow. like put him in the suit and he, yeah, he's already missing a few limbs. <clears throat> but thanks for your service. This is where Meg turns into Ripley she's <laughs> shouting at the blob and machine gunning it. She figured out how machine gun works. She figured out how a satchel charge works. I wouldn't know how any of that shit works <laughs> <laughs> off the top of my head, but she figures it out. So she sets the explosives on the snow, I guess the tank that was on the, the snow truck that got knocked away. She kind of gets stuck like an idiot, though, and Bunny has to come save her after she saved him by getting the blob off the truck where mm-hmm. it was about to break through and get him. And when the satchel charge explodes, somehow it causes all the snow stuff in the truck to freeze the blob, and it crystallizes it and kind of makes it snow. I don't. I don't know how exploding the tank would have done that, but I guess I don't know... I don't know what they use to make fake snow. Yeah. I would think it's just... I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I should have looked <laughs> that up, too. Put
1: nitrogen in there or something like that.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, whatever it is they use, it freezes the blob and it's crystallized. So now they say, get some dump trucks and some shovels. We're going to get this thing and take it to the ice house. And you better be careful with it, too, because it's kind of like the thing where the little pieces... Right. ...can each sort of form their own well, yeah, uh. Yeah, what happens when they blob. thaw out and melt? <laughs> Well, hopefully the power doesn't go out of that ice house wherever they're <laughs> taking it. In the original, they drop it off in the uh, in a crate in Antarctica or something. Yeah. So we get an epilogue where we see the preacher has gone completely batshit. Yeah. preaching fire and brimstone in a traveling show. A man
1: guy now, a complete lunatic.
0: Yeah, he's, he's all burned up. One of his eyes is wasted. One of his flock asks him when the reckoning will be. He says, soon, and reveals that he's still got that mason jar with the little blob in it. That little the crystal around. that
1: melted and turned back into a little chunk of blob. Yeah. So yeah. now you're kind of like, oh, yeah, what's going to happen with all those little ice cubes that they scooped up and down? What happens to those? Well, if they keep them
0: all frozen, I guess. They, they, they'll be okay. <laughs> it's kind of like the same effect that they had in the thing during the blood test. Right. Okay. Except this one's a little bit different because that was, they had like a fake hand with the Petri dish in the thing and the effect was in the fake hand where Kurt Russell hits it with the needle and the bladder thing blows up and everybody freaks out. Because this had to be sort of animated, it's like the preacher is rear projection, so it looks a little different, and the blob is like squirming around in the thing, which is I guess why they couldn't get it in the same shot, although it looks like something is in his hand making Mm. the thing move. It's like a fake hand, obviously, but I don't know, it's, it's weird. It's not quite as effective as the one in the thing. And then we get the most 80s-sounding song ever <laughs> This,
1: I, this that was plays. my favorite thing about the movie, man. The cheesy, cheesy 80s hard rock at the end. Yeah, yeah. Brave New World by Alien.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of the band. They did a couple songs on the soundtrack, apparently, in the credits. And, yeah, it is like the most 80s thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best part of the movie. It's like 80s style. Yeah, so that's The Blob. So now we'll uh, get to the aftermath. It opened August 5th, 1988. In eighth place. Not a big opening. It got just about two point six million. Cocktail was the number one movie that weekend, uh-huh. in case you were wondering. I think it was in its second week. Alright. It finished with only eight point two million against a budget of ten or nineteen, 10 or 19 depending on who you're talking to. So so not the success story of the first film. No, not at all. Did not do well. Reviews were mixed, although it seemed to find an audience over the years, it is not held in nearly the same regard as the thing which also did not do well at the box office, but on home video. Yeah. And now everybody is like, this movie's amazing. So it found its audience over the years. The Blob has too, to a lesser extent. Mm-hmm. And The Fly was successful out of the gate. But yeah, this one struggled. They've been kicking the idea of doing a remake around for a while. Since 2009, Rob Zombie was going, was Rob going Zombie to do Zombie?
1: Re- Remaking a, a classic horror flick? What?
0: Yeah. He was interested in it. He dropped out of the project in 2015. Jack Harris died in 2017 at 98 years old, and there's been, like, a legal battle over the rights the last couple years. Okay. The production company is being run by his widow, and the guys that bought the rights, it's kind of one of those things where, look, it's been 10 years, haven't seen anything yet, so we're taking the rights back. And they're saying, well, you know, there was this COVID thing, it sort of slowed down stuff, and... They've been arm wrestling in court the last couple years, mm. and it doesn't seem any closer to getting done than it did when Rob Zombie was attached to it. So I don't know. It was set up for a sequel that never happened because this tanked. Sure. Would it ever come around again? No idea. Chuck Russell didn't make a movie for years after this. He came back in 1994 with The Mask, the Jim Carrey oh, movie, okay. and Eraser with Arnold a couple years after that. Gotcha. He also did the Rock's for starring movie, The Scorpion King. In 2002. So he went on to better things. He went on to some bigger things. He hasn't done any movies for a while. I think the last movie he did was some kind of a Bollywood movie or something in 2016 or something like that. Not a ton of stuff, but yeah, he, he did some other things afterwards. Frank Darabont, of course, is like the biggest name to come out of this thing. Most famous for adaptations of Stephen King movies, Shawshank Redemption, The Green Mile, The Mist. And he also developed The Walking Dead for television in 2010. He was the, like the producer and showrunner for the first couple seasons of mm-hmm. that. I don't know if that's still going. It certainly had enough spinoffs and everything. And Jeffrey Damon, who played Herb, has been in, like, every Frank Darabont movie that he's done. He was ah. in Shawshank. He was in The Green Mile. He was in The Mist. He was in The Majestic. He was in The Walking Dead. Like, everything. Whatever. Those guys are, like, buddy-buddy. Gotcha. So, been in a bunch of stuff. So, Thornton Mellon, have you changed my mind, or have I changed your mind? What, would you recommend The Blob? <sighs>
1: Yeah, <laughs> eh. it's fun for uh, you know, a Friday night kind of schlock sort of throwback thing. You know, it's all about I guess where you where you set your standard for what you're expecting going into it. I think if you go in knowing what you're gonna get and and not really wanting it to be a real you know horror movie that's actually going to scare you or be something like oh it might have some some you know nice visual effects in it, but. Yeah, as long as you don't go into it expecting much, I think maybe you can get away, and it's a nice popcorn flick.
0: How did seeing the original after influence that at all? Seeing like how it got its start and what it came from, as far as being like a super low budget and knowing that it was like a schlocky B movie to begin with, right? Did that? It's interesting because I
1: think the even though it was a B film in the fifties. It took itself a lot more seriously, I thought, that watching the the 88 version, I couldn't tell how much wasn't it was intended to be a serious horror film versus how much it was intending to wink at you as it went on about its business, especially with a lot of the throwbacks. So I, I did enjoy getting to see the original and then and seeing the similarities and, you know, little stuff like, oh, hey, the meteorite crashes and the old guy pokes it and it goes from there the, the the good cop bad cop dynamic between the sheriff and the deputy you've got the sheriff that's all kind of buddy buddy supporting the teenagers and the deputy there that's all oh you hoods you know you hoodlums, we're gonna <laughs> take you and you know what it. so a lot of the same you know stuff between that they they carried over but then like you said you know we've talked about along the way here where well we've established here here's paul your hero in the movie the young popular kid Oh, nope, he's out. <laughs> Never yeah. mind. We're gonna we're gonna completely throw out everything that you expected here and, and throwing in some twists as far as that goes. But yeah, just all things considered, it's 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 a shock eighties horror thing that it's fun for what it is, I guess.
0: Numbers time, what would you give it out of ten?
1: Uh I'd, I'd go like four and a half, five maybe.
0: I mean it's all right. All right. Yeah, I think and maybe seeing it when I saw it. You know, when I was a teenager. Sure. It's not one of those movies that you're terrified of, but you're looking at it as far as, oh, my God, these gross-out kills are fantastic. In spots, you know, the the effects are are hit or miss. I really like how they take out the main character, who you think the main character is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hadn't seen the original. So the fact that they changed the conflict really being from... Oh, you pesky kids, we can't trust the youth of today. You kids are up to no good to it being, you know, the government yeah. is evil and watch the out for them. The kids not
1: trusting, you know, the government, right. Yeah,
0: that kind of a switcheroo. I don't know. It's not a perfect movie, but I think there's enough stuff going for it where, yeah, I'd, I'd put it up there with those other 80s. It It's like a nice kind of trilogy with The Thing and The Fly where we're taking these 50s movies and remaking them into to hard art sure. classics. Not as good as those other two. It just didn't. And I don't know if that's a budget thing or like you say the tone of it. I think Chuck Russell kind of regretted that they did try to make it a little more humorous.
1: Get on with it! Yes, get on with it!
0: I would say it's a very solid six out of ten for me.
1: I like it.
0: So it's pretty much in line. IMDb says six point six. Rotten Tomatoes sixty three percent. So yeah, it's it's right around there. It's not not the worst thing I've ever seen.
1: And, and, and I think watching it the second time, years removed from the first first time that I saw it, I didn't dislike it as much, but it was still very much that kind of, yeah, whatever.
0: Overrated as fuck, in my opinion. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> okay, fuck
1: it. What's next?
0: I got a quarter here. You
1: got a quarter? Let's flip a coin. Let's flip we a coin. Were,
0: we were talking about a couple different movies. We hadn't decided on them. We've done a lot of things. We've flown the friendly skies with Con Air. We've gone under the sea with Waterworld. We've had invaders from space. We've had vanilla ice. <laughs> <laughs> what if We've we got in monkeys. a time
1: machine and either went way, way, way back to prehistoric times
0: or way, way, way forward to the future? Well, that's what we're going to find out here. We're looking at Caveman with Ringo Starr or we're looking at Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. And we got a coin here we're going to flip. Heads is what? Heads is Caveman. Heads is Caveman, Tails is Star Trek. All right, we're going to flip the coin right now. That is Tails. Tails? Ah, oh, all right. Okay. So, so a Star Trek. Well, you knew it fine. was going to be one or the other. Why are you acting disappointed? <laughs> I kind of wanted to watch Caveman. <laughs> <laughs> so you did this shit last time, too. You're like, oh, well, no, you no, know, no. we're going to do Trek, the blob. Trek, oh, I'm no, you know this. what? We're going to do Vanilla Ice. <laughs> Yes. Tales means Star Trek, Star Trek five, five, the final frontier. We are going to, uh, look at what used to be considered the worst Star Trek movie. <laughs> and, uh, we'll used do that next time. But
1: what do you mean? What, what's come along since then?
0: The Kelvin verse. Nope. Oh. <laughs> what part? <laughs> All of it. All of it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we'll do next time on, uh, ORS at the Movies. We're going to go to The Final Frontier and take a look at that and see how that train wreck happened. You got anything else to add here? Nah, man. I'm good. I'm good, too. Hopefully we'll get it out before we reach the 23rd century, but I'm not (laughs) sure. I guess we'll have to see. This is our Halloween episode. It'll be perfect timed. What year? (laughs) (laughs) That's what
1: you wanted to do. You wanted this to be the Halloween thing last year. Now we've drugged this out long enough. You will have this perfectly put together to release for Halloween this year.
0: Well we'll do Star Trek V next time. So once again, he's Thornton Mellon. I'm G Money Clip. Why don't you kick back, have some popcorn and watch some movies? We'll catch you next time. Adios nachos. Oh, I forgot one thing to mention. Donovan Leach, Paul in, in the blob here. In the nineteen nineties he was in a band called Nancy Boy. Oh really? Okay. Yes. Then that band also featured uh Jason Nesmith. Oh really? You might have heard of him. Okay. I don't know he I might was know him.
1: Uh, that's Michael Nesmith's son yeah, yeah
0: the guy from the Monkees. yeah
1: he's. I've, I've heard some of his stuff
0: I forgot to mention that but yeah he was uh, he was in that band in the 90s oh, I didn't know that for I don't know I think they made two albums or something like that and I'm uh-huh. looking that up so more wacky stuff there oh
1: yeah. <gasps>